Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Thursday, October 21st, 2021. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is the Rev, Taylor Schwenk. I'm Buster, only working from my home in New York. And Taylor, today, the uh, 46th anniversary of one of the greatest games ever played in baseball history. We will have a seventh game in this 1975 World Series. A lot of body English for Carlton Fisk. Uh, watch it. <laughs> How many steps does he take? One. He waits to see it. Get over. Get over. <laughs> he knew it. There he was it waving. Is. Carlton Fisk, body language to wave that ball over the wall at Fenway Park. Game six of the 1975 World Series. So many twists and turns in it, Taylor, that in extra innings, when Pete Rose stepped into the box, he looked back at Carlton Fisk and I'm paraphrasing here and said, a lot of this game's this game's amazing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Funny to hear players like that have some perspective in game. I feel like it does it's it's hard to really soak that moment in. So very cool story. And that's where the the waving of the arms comes around. I'm learning baseball history here, Buster. When you're waving your home runs, Carlton Fisk. Got it. Noted. Yeah, and Harry Coyle was the producer for NBC in that game, and they put that camera into the Green Monster before that game, and he changed the way television shots are done. The reaction shots really, I think, stem from that incredible job uh, decision by Harry Coyle to get Carlton Fisk waving that home run. So amazing job there. Uh, I was 11 years old when that game was played. We didn't have a television at our house. I went up to a neighbor's and watched it on television. I remember being so excited about that game. Um, being fired up and then having to walk home in the dark uh, a mile and a half of dirt road in the fall. I had Ichabod Crane all over my Mm. mind, Taylor. Mm. Don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Major changes coming in Major League Baseball with the electronic strike zone, curbing the use of relievers. We're going to be talking about that with Sarah Langs. And we'll also be talking about the two playoff series that are ongoing at Fenway Park last night. The Astros, the Red Sox, the two teams tied two all and wow. Chris Sale was great early in this game, but the Astros took control. As Dan Sonia says, let's get after it. And the first pitch fastball is hit in the air to left field. Verdugo's going to turn, and this one is gone. Alvarez goes to the opposite field up into the monster seats, and the Astros have taken a one to nothing lead. Dan Schulman with that call on ESPN Radio. Uh, so remember that Jordan Alvarez, a home run in his first plate appearance. Meanwhile, Framber Valdez was dominating the Red Sox. A two-strike count on Bogarts. Valdez has the sign. The left-hander kicks and deals. And a swing and a ground ball. That one hit a little bit better, but right at Altuve, the second baseman. And the Red Sox go in order again. So it is 12 up and 12 down for Framber Valdez. one to nothing, Houston at the end of four. A great sinker. He was getting a ton of ground balls. In the top of the sixth inning, the Astros rallied. Brantley has struck out on each of his two at-bats. Altuve is running. The first pitch swung on by Brantley. Weak ground ball towards third. Devers throws to first. Schwarber drops it. And Altuve comes around to third. Dan Schoeman with that call as well. What happened was that Altuve... Began to uh, he went around on a hit and run, went around second base and began to race for third base. And Schwarber, as he was getting ready to take that throw at first base, kind of took his eye off the ball, dropped the throw, 
that set up a situation where Jordan Alvarez was at the plate. And I got to say, in real time, my thought was, boy, he's got hits in his first two plate appearances against Chris Sale. It's lefty on lefty, but you might want a different look. Alex Cora elected to keep Alvarez in the game. Sale works from the stretch. And the first pitch lined to left field, and that is down and into the corner. Altuve in to score. Brentley in behind him. Alvarez into second with a two-run double. Sale cannot get him out. And it is three to nothing Astros. And Michael Brantley effectively put the game out of reach in the top of the seventh. And the 1-1. And Brantley hits it to center field, and this ball is going to drop in front of Hernandez. Altuve read it well, and he'll come in to score. It's an RBI single to make it 7 to nothing. So the Astros win 9-1, to and Houston, which looked like it was in jeopardy after Game 3 with a rotation in tatters, got a huge outing from Framber Valdez, eight innings, and are now one win away from reaching the World Series for the third time in five seasons. Dusty Baker talked about Jordan Alvarez. He's a big boy in the middle. You know, he was just uh, attacking. You know, he was ready to swing. You know, nobody else could hit him, but Alvarez had him. And uh, he, if you have one guy in the lineup that, that comes up at the right time, uh, you know, it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, Chris Sale is one of the best pitchers around and has been for years. He was throwing 95 to 97, throwing better than he was last time we saw him. So I'm just glad we had Alvarez, uh, you know, tonight because whenever Sale got in trouble, you know, he, he found a way to strike guys out, you know, all except Alvarez. Boston manager Alex Cora talked about the Red Sox mindset and Valdez. We got to win two games to to go to the World Series. <clears throat> That's the bottom line. So um, obviously reset tomorrow, be ready for the next day. Then their guy was amazing. He was throwing harder than usual. Uh, the ball was moving. Uh, we didn't hit the ball hard at all. Then we hit two fly balls, if I'm not mistaken, and the home run, right? So uh, credit to him. And he talked about that decision to leave Sale in the game in the sixth. He was throwing the ball great. The stuff was really good. He was throwing 97 with a good slider. I understand, you know, how people think, but, you know, there were two lefties coming up, too, in that pocket, right? Uh, Brandley, who he did an amazing job early on, and, uh, and we had Alvarez. Still, he is who he is, but it's Chris Sale. He's a lefty, and, you know, he, he's made a living getting lefties out. Red Sox starting pitcher Chris Sale talked about his outing. I had to leave everything out there. I told myself coming into this game I had a job to do and obviously didn't get it done, but I left my ass out there on that mound tonight. That's for damn sure. He was asked about how he pitched in game four. I was good for five and I sucked for one. He was talking about game five. Sorry. Yeah. But uh, that is Chris Sale, direct and to the point and completely accountable. Some other notes, Mets right-hander Carlos Carrasco had surgery to remove a bone fragment from his pitching elbow, and he is projected to resume baseball activities during the winter. The Milwaukee Brewers fired their hitting coach, Andy Haynes. The Brewers' offense was sporadic during the season and a disappointment uh, in the postseason. In Los Angeles, last night, game four of the National League Championship Series, the Braves with a 2-1 to lead. And in the top of the second inning, they went off against Julio Urias. The 0-2. Swing and a high fly ball. That's pretty well hit left field. Taylor back. Back some more. Turning and looking. And it's gone. Over the left field wall, Eddie Rosario will touch them all. And it's 1-0 Atlanta. Shift on left side. No outs. 3-2. Swing and a high fly ball in the air. Left field. Lux going back. Lux at the wall. On its way and gone. 
Back-to-back homers. Adam Duvall launches into the pavilion in left center. And the Braves have taken a 2-0 lead. The legend, Book Shambi, with those calls on ESPN Radio. Adam Duvall got it done at the plate. He got it done in the field. Here comes the 3-2 to Lux. Swing and a high fly ball drilled center field. Racing back Duvall at the wall. Leaping! And Duvall makes the catch. Wow! What a play by Adam Duvall up against the fence as he stole one from Gavin Lux. Holy cow. In the top of the third, Atlanta added to its lead. The 2-1. Swing and a high fly ball right field. Betts going back at the track near the wall. He'll turn and he'll watch it go. A towering home run from Freddie Freeman into the pavilion in right field. Three solo homers, and the Braves lead it three to nothing as Freddie Freeman touches them all. It was five to two in the bottom of the seventh inning. Justin Turner at the plate. The lefty fires. Swing and a ground ball out to short. Picking it up, Albee steps on second. Throw to first. It's a double play, and Turner is up hobbling. Justin Turner grabbing to in the back of his left hamstring, and he is hurt, and he is really limping. Yeah, it was one of those injuries where like, that is a bad one. Top of the ninth inning, Eddie Rosario, who had such an amazing game, he's been tremendous in this postseason, applied to coup de gras. Here's a 1-1. Swing and a ball drilled right field. Going back is Souza near the wall, and that one is gone. Just over the wall in right. Eddie Rosario have a day. A three-run homer, his second home run of the game. And Atlanta blowing it open as they now lead it 9-2. It just got out into the Braves' bullpen in right field. Wow. And that would be the final score, 9-2. After the game, Alden Gonzalez spoke with Adam Duvall. Adam, you hit a home run, and you seem to rob a home run. Which one was more fun for you tonight? <laughs> That's a tough decision. Uh, you know, taking that one away was, was, was pretty cool, uh, especially in that moment because... Uh, it's a close ball game there, so, uh, you know, still in that momentum was, was pretty good. And, Adam, there were a lot of people who felt as if the Dodgers had kind of seized the momentum of this series with the way that they came back in Game 3. The way this team responded, what did it show you about the makeup of this group? Well, I think it's something we've been doing all year. Um, you know, it wasn't easy getting through the division. Um, you know, we had to scratch and crawl for that one. So, uh, you know, that's what we've been doing all year. Uh, we're going to have to keep doing it. It's going to be tough. Two home runs for Eddie Rosario tonight. He's been a spark plug for a long time for this club. What can you tell me about just what he's meant to this lineup? Oh, I mean, what he's doing right now is special, uh, you know, especially at the time that he's doing it, uh, you know. So he, he's uh, he's put us on his back for, for there for, for a couple days. So uh, that's huge. Dave Roberts talked about Justin Turner's injury. Date on Justin Turner and how he's doing. Um early indication it's a grade two uh so i think that'll be it for him and that'll be it justin turner out for the rest of the postseason in all likelihood could be we'll see albert pujols in the lineup tonight it'd be interesting if uh you know this potentially could be albert pujols's last game in the big leagues if the braves wrap it up tonight brian setker talked about rosario and how good he's been yeah i mean eddie's been in the moment here i'll tell you what he's liked this postseason play that's for sure Good for him. I mean, he's really just great at bats. It's. I looked up and I told Walt, I was like, this, you know, he's, he's a double away from the cycle again. 
and then he hit a homer, so that's better. So, um, no, he's, he's had a, a really good postseason. The Braves now leading the series three games to one. They play tonight, and it's worth mentioning that last year they led the Dodgers three to one in the league championship series, and it was the Dodgers who went under the World Series. I'm going to ask Sarah Langs about what's the different or the same about this Dodger team in handling this moment. Taylor, what do you got? Buster, first of all, you can listen to Braves at Dodgers. Tune in time on ESPN Radio is 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. Also, you can watch ESPN's new NBA studio show, NBA Today, with Malika Andrews. That is on ESPN and the ESPN app every weekday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 Pacific. And all you fantasy football nerds, you got to get those lineups in before Thursday night's game. If you're having some troubles, check out Fantasy Focus Football wherever you get your podcasts and on ESPN Plus for all of your fantasy football needs. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. This is the numbers game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter and producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, I feel better about your mom's situation because you texted me that... uh, that she was on from the Giants. She recovered from the Giants' loss last week, and she's on to the Warriors. Yes, she is feeling great about the NBA season. There was a great opening night win for the Warriors. A little comeback against the Lakers in L.A. So, you know, fully focused on the NBA, and we'll start talking about spring training probably in a few weeks at this point. Well, I hope so, because uh, that would mean that the labor agreement 
Uh, <laughs> you know, there's optimism about that. That's for sure. Um, all right. Uh, last night, the Braves take a three to one lead in the National League Championship Series against the Dodgers. And, you know, if you're uh, naturally, if you're in the media, you're going to say, well, the Braves were had a three one lead last year. But, Sarah, it just feels like the Dodgers are a vastly different team than last year. It really does. And, I mean, you can make an argument that they should be already gone. This should, this series should be over. I mean, if you look at that comeback that they had when they came back trailing by three runs in the eighth inning in the previous game, I mean, it was an outstanding comeback. It was what October moments are, that that exciting nature but they were 0-81 in their postseason history when trailing by three runs or more in the eighth inning or later. That tells you that they usually do not win that game. So, you know, again, exciting moment. I don't mean to take anything away from Dodgers fans, but I look at that and I say, you know, the 2020 Dodgers were not doing that. The 2020 Dodgers were a lot more dominant than this team has been in the postseason. And I think ultimately we're going to look back at this and see how that Max Muncy injury really changed the nature of their offense. And I think that's been the story of their postseason. So it really doesn't feel like the same thing that happened last year, even though the games have gone exactly the same way so far in terms of who has won thus far. Yeah. And look, the the distinguishing characteristic I felt like with the Dodgers team in 2020 and the lineups they built in recent years is sort of the, the absolutely relentless nature of the quality of the at-bats. Um, and the best guy along those lines in that lineup was Max Muncy, and he's not available. And the second best guy in recent years, you know, with all due respect to Mookie Betts, who's a great hitter, uh, you know, and Cody Bellinger, who won an MVP, was Justin Turner. Justin Turner, every plate appearance was like a, it was like a, you know, a a, a bare knuckle battle for the pitcher to get through that. He clearly has not been the same in this uh, postseason. He's been playing hurt. You can see his bat speed down. Uh, Now he's out uh, and he goes down. I I think that, you know, the difference between the, you know, the Dodgers we've seen the past and Dodgers seen this year, as you say, those two guys. Definitely. It it just feels like the lineup lacks kind of that tenacity that you're talking about. And when you see some of these at bats, I mean, I don't we don't know yet who's going to replace Turner on the roster. People may know by the time that they're listening, but we saw names out there like Billy McKinney. And, you know, I come back to there was a game the Dodgers played in, I want to say late August, where they had a chance to walk off maybe against the Rockies and Billy McKinney was at the plate. And I know they won 106 games and this isn't to focus on one player like him specifically, but that's why this team, despite tying their franchise record in wins, just doesn't seem to have the top to bottom lineup depth that they've had in previous years. It just felt like they had a bit more of those kinds of bit players playing as opposed to the Chris Taylors and Max Muncy's who were those diamonds in the rough who got to the point where they became consistent contributors for them. And think about where these two teams are with their rotation as we move forward in the series. Tonight, the Dodgers have to face Max Freed fully rested. In game six, they would have to face Ian Anderson fully rested. Charlie Morton in game seven, you know, if necessary, fully rested. And meanwhile, we don't even know what the, who the Dodgers are going to throw out there because they got a lot of tired pitchers uh, and they might have to pull some guys back on short rest. Very different situations in the two pitching staffs. 
Definitely. And, you know, the Dodgers used four pitchers last night, and that was actually their fewest in their last six games. So in their previous five games, they had used at least six pitchers in every single game, which was a postseason record. No team had ever used at least six pitchers in five straight postseason games. That doesn't tend to be the type of streak that gets you to the World Series, even with the changing nature of pitchers in the postseason and across the board in this game. They were doing that in part out of necessity, and that doesn't tend to be a winning formula. I think that Eric Neander, you know, heads up baseball operations for the Rays, could be an annual candidate for executive of the year. Uh, Farhan Zaidi, you know, the, the head of baseball operations for the Giants, the team the 107 games, they could absolutely, he, he could be a candidate and probably will wind up winning this thing. But Alex Anthopoulos, <laughs> who heads up baseball operations for the Braves, my God, those midseason acquisitions have been difference-making, not only, I think, in the terms of production that they brought, but in terms of keeping the, the flame of hope alive in that clubhouse in the aftermath of the Ronald Acuna Jr. injury. Absolutely. I mean, I, it was all on display last night with Eddie Rosario and Adam Duvall specifically hitting those home runs. Duvall also had the home run robbing catch. I'm not sure if it 100% would have been a home run, but it was amazing catch. It was the least extra bases there for sure. And Eddie Rosario has two four hit games this postseason, and he was injured when they acquired him. He wasn't even set to play. I mean, I think it's just incredible that we watched them acquire four outfielders, Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler, who's out right now with a uh, COVID, te- uh, COVID positive test, uh, Adam Duvall and Eddie Rosario to replace Ronald Cooney Jr. We all knew what they were doing and we didn't understand why, because the team was below 500 and the team was not even in first place. But to show the team that you have the faith in them. I think that that's maybe the most important thing. And I think by making those acquisitions, Alice Anthopoulos and the entire front office showed the Braves, we believe in you. We believe that if we add these guys, you guys can make a run. And I think that just the ability to make moves like that and have the flexibility to make four different trades for outfielders in a one month span. I mean, it's just crazy. I, a ton of credit goes there and, you know, depending how far they go. I mean, I, I agree. I think, you know, the Rays, obviously Eric Neander always in the conversation with the way they put together that roster. And, you know, I would have said Farhan Zaidi entering the postseason just for everything that the Giants did. But seeing this run that the Braves have gone on, it feels like it might have to be Anthopolis, if, depending when the voting is sealed and all of those kinds of questions. It's so funny that you said that because you just heard the ding on my phone in the background. I'd actually sent some text messages out to MLB executives saying, when do you guys vote on this award? (laughs) And one of the people I texted answered back as you were just answering. Oh, my God. That vote goes in at the end of the regular season. Okay. Which means that I think you would agree with me. Farhan's going to win. Oh, absolutely. you know, he will wind up winning. And if it had been waited, if they had waited to vote until the end of the postseason, I think Alex may have overtaken him because those guys are performing so well. You mentioned, uh, yeah, Jock Peterson's been great. Jorge Soler uh, tested positive for COVID. And uh, he theoretically, if this series goes to game six and seven, might be eligible for those games. The Braves went into the series planning that he would uh, 
uh, he would uh, probably be more likely to, to play in the World Series if they advance that far. All right, Astros-Red Sox last night. Framber Valdez was ridiculous with that sinker, Sarah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, all of the ground balls, there wasn't a fly ball until I should have pulled it up beforehand, but I don't think there was a fly ball until maybe the fourth or fifth inning. I mean, it was just incredible. And we saw length out of a starter. I mean, I know that a lot of the conversation throughout this postseason has been about pitching. And we were talking on Tuesday about how there's been a stark difference between the pitching so far in the American League playoffs and the National League playoffs. But even still, Framber Valdez became the first pitcher to complete eight innings in a postseason start since Clayton Kershaw in the wild card round last year. I mean, it's just incredible how long it had been. And by the way, that's in the wild card round. There were a lot of postseason games last year. So just think about how many we're talking about since then. That's not as many as normal. If I were saying, oh, the NLDS last year, that's even more games in between. But he was really, really good. And it was it was really fun to watch that. And obviously not for Red Sox fans. And I'm sure there are plenty of them listening. But, you know, we really hadn't seen a pitcher dominate like that. And, you know, I look at it and with him, obviously, it's not about you know, swings and misses. He had 12. That's not super notable. And it's not about called strikes either. He had 14, but as you said, it's that sinker and getting those ground balls. And it was exactly his game plan and it worked. We always, you know, we talk about Yadi Molina and his ability to connect with pitchers. uh, And we'll be talking about that all the way up to the time when he's uh, inducted the hall of fame. I must say it's pretty clear Martin Maldonado has an extraordinary relationship with his pitchers. You know, we heard the story the other day after they lost in game three that Maldonado, um, and I think uh, was who Ryan Presley, I think was the other one who basically talked to the players in the clubhouse and said, look, guys, we're not out of this thing. Like uh, they gotten blown out in games two and three. It's in Fenway Park. The crowd's been going crazy. And Martin Maldonado is one of the guys saying, no, we're, we're not done here. And I I don't know about you, Sarah, but last night I love to watch the body language between Maldonado, who was like a big brother to Valdez. And sometimes, you know, they would exchange uh, little bits of body language on different pitchers, pitches. And you could see Valdez three or four times laughing because Maldonado was like chastising him over execution of certain pitches in a night in which he was great. I, I thought Maldonado had a great night. Yeah, he really seemed to. And, you know, Joe Buck mentioned on the broadcast about, I think it was when they were going through the lineup and had batting averages or something. And he sort of mentioned, you know, he's in there for his defense. He's in there for what he does behind the plate. And, you know, we've seen catchers like this in the past. It's a pretty common trope of a catcher who's really good defensively or really good with his pitching staff. So the team doesn't care what he's hitting. They don't need him to be that moment in the lineup. And especially in the American League, where you have a DH, you can sort of afford to have that. But he at 172, and nobody cares. Absolutely nobody cares. And I love to see that because you just see the relationship that he has with all of these pitchers. And you, I mean, I have read countless articles and seen countless quotes just about the, you know, leadership and what he brings to that team. And it's great to see that on national stage in the postseason. And it just adds another sort of, I don't know. I think that that's the type of individual that fans want to root for someone who on the base level, if you just look at his baseball reference page, 
doesn't look like that good of a player. But if you watch the game and you know the game, you know how important he is. I feel like those are the types of sort of underdogs that people really gravitate towards. Uh, I am definitely done making predictions in this postseason. I might wind up getting, you know, the two uh, CS uh, predictions right. But I thought that the Astros were done after game three, Sarah, with the condition of their starting pitching. I, I just couldn't imagine a path. And yet here we are. They're one win away from going to the World Series. Yeah, no, I, I really thought that there was so much momentum there. And of course, momentum is not quantifiable and not really a thing, but we've seen it happen and we see how these series go. And I really thought that they were. I mean, they didn't have a starter complete three innings in each of those first three games. It really felt like it was over. But, you know, something that stands out to me and one of these stats I've been tracking with them, they score a lot with two outs. They have 41 runs scored with two outs this postseason, which is already up there among, I think, the top five all time in a single postseason, and they're only in the CS round right now. And I think that gives you a little insight into, you know, we're talking about relentlessness a little bit with the Dodgers before. I think that gives you a little bit of insight into the relentlessness with their lineup as well. I mean, there's a reason that this team was the best offense in baseball in the regular season by a lot of metrics, including weighted runs created plus and whatever else you want to look at. And I think a lot of it is not giving up with two outs. I mean, it sounds silly, but we haven't really seen a team pile on like this with two outs. Honestly, since the 2018 Red Sox, I can remember actually sitting in an airport recording a podcast with you talking about the Red Sox two out runs in that postseason. It must have been uh, after after game five, I don't remember exactly which game it was, but I can remember us talking about that. And that does seem to be a really important quality of this Astros lineup right now. Uh, it's well established. I, th I think Alex Gore might be the best manager in baseball. Uh, I thought he made a mistake letting uh, Chris Sale pitch to Jordan Alvarez a third time last night. And that was a first guess. It's not a it's not a it's not a second guess because I was thinking it when he sent him up. It, it really surprised me. He let him pitch to him. What do you think? Yeah, you know, it, it just, he had a velocity drop in that inning, which isn't to indicate any sort of uh, injury or anything. I think he was just tired. I mean, yep. there's so much energy and you're so amped up in a start like this. And we saw that he threw his fastest pitch since 2018 uh, in that, in the first inning of that game. But I, I think that when it falls off, it really falls off hard. And that was already happening in that ending. And I was very surprised to see him face, you know, not just because of all of the, uh, you know, ongoing new wisdom about facing a batter three times, but because we hadn't seen a guy like Jordan really beat up on Chris Sale in that way in the game in a really long time. And it was clear that he had his number last night. And I think sometimes you kind of just have to go off of that and not let a rally happen or not let that moment happen with that batter where it feels like everybody thinks he's going to get a hit. And I understand having faith in your guy, but again, he was tiring already in that inning. And I just think that it was a good moment to not let that go further. Yeah. Give him a different look, you know, because yeah. it was clear that he was locked in with his approach, had a great approach, taking the ball left field against Chris Sale, and he was doing some major damage. All right. Um, as I mentioned at the very top of the podcast, I wanted uh, to talk about the major changes coming to baseball uh, and maybe sooner rather than later. Let's talk about the electronic strike zone. You know, since we had the game the other night uh, with Laz Diaz making mistakes, uh, 
I, you know, called around and I would say this, Sarah, in terms of where we are with the electronic strike zone, if we got an announcement um, today, if we got an announcement in six months, if we got an announcement in a year, yes, the electronic strike zone is being put in place. It wouldn't shock me. I think they're comfortable with where the, uh, the, the electronics are and with the, the judgments. And I would hope so, because, Sarah, I can remember talking with a Major League Baseball official, I want to say three, four years ago, and saying, hey, where are you guys on this? And they said, well, we still got some tweaks and we, we have some uh, things that we need to check on it. Uh, but we feel like we're making progress. And my response was, well, I hope so because you've been grading the umpires based on the data you're getting from the electronic strike zone. <laughs> so clearly they had gotten to a point where they felt like it was good enough for the standard. Um, I, I, I think this, I don't want to use the word imminent because I don't know if it's going to happen in 2022, but it is right on the horizon. And I think it's going to be a good thing for baseball. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like the momentum, uh, you know, seems to be going in that direction. I mean, I can remember uh, doing positional rankings in the last few years. And as we kind of talk about catchers, we wonder how much is framing really going to matter moving forward? You know, when we look at a guy who's a great framer, how are we going to evaluate catchers? You know, whether it's two years from now, three years from now, a year from now, whenever it might be. So I'm interested to see kind of those effects. But, you know, in the postseason, these moments and these calls are obviously on, you know, the absolute biggest stage and there's a box right on the screen. And there's no question that I think uh, people are, you know, hoping to see something different and knowing that there has been so much research done, as you mentioned, into figuring out a different way to do this. You know, I'm interested to see what that, what exactly it would look like, but uh, you know, I, uh, I just think of, you know, all these fans, what are they going to complain about on Twitter during these postseason games if the calls are, you know, 100 percent? Yeah, the bottom line is, is that there is clearly now a more efficient, more accurate system to be put in place. Can, and if you have access to that, why would you not use it? You know, you think about tennis. We watch the tennis tournaments every year and they have the electronics. Can you imagine <laughs> if, if uh, you know, tennis were to say, you know what? Yeah, we know we can get all these calls right, but we decide, no, we want the human element. That would seem insane to us, uh, you know, based on where we've seen tennis. And I think that's where we're headed with baseball. The other major change that's coming, I don't think there's any doubt about it, is that there's going to be rules put in place in the future to curb these bullpen games where you have the parade of relievers. And I, I, I've talked about how, uh, look, I, I personally can't stand watching it, but I'm not, it's not, I mean, who cares about my opinion? I talk to people in front offices every day and ask them, what do you think? And they can't stand it. They know that it's fully justified. No one's criticizing the, the decisions per se. The, you know, there are reasons for uh, the, the changes to be made. There are numbers that back up that these are right changes. I mean, shoot, look at the Tampa Bay Rays, the great job that they've done, but people don't like the product. They don't let, want to see this sort of nameless parade of relievers brought into games as opposed to uh, starting pitchers that might draw casual fans, and they can't stand the fact that it really slows down the games. That's a big part of it. It feels like we get to the you know sixth inning during the regular season. The games just, at that point, become a slog. So here, uh, based on you know conversations I've had, here's where I think we're headed. I think there are going to be limits on pitchers 
on rosters as we move forward. And I don't know uh, if this is going to be, you know, initially 13 pitchers per uh, team, 12 pitchers per team, whatever it is, I think they're going to start limiting pitchers on a roster. And then they're going to gradually reduce that number over time because all these organizations have trained starting pitchers and trained relievers, you know, to handle the current rules. And they have to give uh, organizations time to retrain <laughs> the starting pitchers and retrain the relief pitchers. Um, and, you know, eventually maybe that number gets reduced to 11 per game. And there obviously would in addition to that rule, there would be uh, additional administrative rules put in place so teams don't suddenly have taxi squads of relievers that go up and down for every game. So it might be that if you're called up to the big leagues to be one of 12 pitchers on a roster, um, then you require to spend at least 15 days. Something like that will be put in. Then I also think that you potentially are going to see the DH tied to the starting pitcher to incentivize managers to keep the starting pitchers in the game. So in other words, you have access to the DH at the start of the game. And when you take your starter out, then your DH goes away and you're asked to uh, use pinch hitters the rest of the way. Um, so there are reasons for managers to want to keep the starting pitchers in the game. And what's different about the situation with this um, and with some of the other on-field initiatives we've seen from Major League Baseball, Sarah, is that I think that they have a partner in this conversation in the Players Association. Because I think the, the Player Association fully recognizes that the starting pitchers are the guys who push the salaries, and they need to reestablish the preeminence of the starting pitchers, which is why I think they'll work with them. And people will ask the question, well, why would a union that has so many relief pitchers you know, agree to something like this it's not like the roster sizes are going to be limited and those relief spots are just going to go away. It means a veteran position player, you know, who's 35 years old might have a new role available to him as a pinch hitter late in games, because you might have some specialized specialization players available uh, among your position players on your roster on a daily basis. I personally, I can't wait for this to start to happen. And I think they may put it in for next year. I know I just threw a lot at you, but what uh, what do you think? Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, again, going back to Framber Valdez, there's no question that that was probably the most enjoyable uh, American League postseason game we've seen this year, just from the pitching standpoint, just from that one side, seeing him go out there and pitch eight innings. So it certainly gets to the point that I think that that's a great part of the product and something that should be emphasized. But I wonder how something like that changes the approaches of teams. We've seen so many teams bring up a top pitching prospect and put him in the bullpen initially. And we saw it even before the current trend of bullpen games. I mean, Chris Sale came up as a reliever in 2010, and that wasn't to pitch as one of nine guys in the game necessarily. But I just wonder from the development standpoint, I mean, I would love to see teams working harder to develop those top pitching prospects into starters initially. You know, I think we want to see guys come up like Steven Strasburg in his debut, Matt Harvey in his debut, guys who tied strikeout records. You know, we don't see that quite as much anymore because a lot of these MLB debuts come out of the bullpen. So I think that hopefully something that would come in concert with everything you're mentioning with those pitcher roles would be 
be getting those top prospects to the point where when you bring them up, you're hoping they go seven in their debut and that they're ready to be a full participant in the rotation when they come up, if they're going to be a starting pitcher. So I think that could be another thing just that we could see more of that I think would be great. And in terms of the DH, I mean, that's basically what Joe Madden had to deal with all year, you know, so uh, with Shohei Otani, because when he would hit and pitch, then you lose the DH when you take him out. So um, or you don't have it to begin with. Right. Because he's hitting and pitching. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I've certainly seen that. Um, around whether it's people's suggestions, you know, everybody who's uh, writing these various things. But I, I think that tying it to the starting pitcher would make a lot of sense. And all of this just gets to the point that, you know, people do really enjoy seeing a guy go out and, you know, come close to the 20 strikeout record, something like that, right? We didn't see anybody who was really on that pace this year, even amongst the elite starting pitchers. And I just think of so many records that it's really, really fun when we see guys threatening them. And a lot of it has to do with being in the game in the eighth inning, in the ninth inning. Yeah. Uh, And the reason uh, why I think they'll put this in gradually when they do it is for the reason you cited. Like, you have to give organizations a chance to go back through and work with their pitchers on developing a third pitch, a fourth pitch. Because let's face it, with a lot of the guys who get to the big leagues now, it's all about, hey, just give me your best breaking ball and throw that 20 times. And if you have a good fastball, okay, we'll work in concert with that. You have to give organizations a chance to go back. I mean, think about this, Sarah. This year, there were a total of seven pitchers with more than 190 innings. That's insane. Like that, that's crazy how that's been reduced. And you have to give organizations a chance to build that up again. All right. Uh, I've uh, already kept you too long. I appreciate your extra time. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Following the Yankees' announcement that Aaron Boone has been re-signed to a three-year contract plus an option year in 2025, he made the radio rounds yesterday. He was on with Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max and asked the question when he knew he would be back. I didn't feel like I was in limbo. You know, I, I, I knew, you know, towards the end of the season, you know, my conversations with, with Brian Cashman that, you know, he he certainly wanted me back and, um, 
and, and I knew I wanted to be back, um, you know, but, but there were things that, you know, organizationally you got to go through. And, um, I had a really good conversation with Hal Steinbrenner, uh, last Monday. And then where, where he informed me that, you know, they, they did want me back and, and, you know, I felt like I heard what I wanted to hear in that conversation that, um, you know, allowed, you know, my agent and Brian to then kind of work out a deal. So I don't, I don't think I ever felt in limbo. I never felt like it was a certainty that I was coming back, but, but was, was optimistic that we would be able to work something out. He was asked what the Yankees need to do to get over the top. We're always searching for a more perfect team or a better team where it's hard to, to get it all. I mean, in a perfect world, you'd have this team that, you know, has a high contact rate that hits the ball out of the ballpark that gets on base. That's athletic, that plays great defense, that pitches like, so you're always working towards that. You know, it's hard to, to get that, that perfect team. So, you know, I think on the offensive side, people obviously talk about, you know, our power and our strikeouts, but you know, this year was an up and down struggle for us offensively. And, and I would say the biggest thing that hurt us was because, especially because we're not a very fast team either is we, we put the ball on the ground a lot and, and the double play ball was something that really hurt us. You know, I think more so than, than just people talk about the strikeout. It was, it was us putting the ball on the ground and, and really ending a lot of rallies with double play balls. And that, and that really hurt us this year. And You know, something that hopefully we can improve on next year. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Thursday. We have Spence up first at Texas Baseball Fan. Spence writes in, are the Dodgers just addicted to win or go home games or what? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, the wild card game. We actually had the last day of the regular season, right, where we didn't know how that would, uh, you know, would they wind up tying the Giants? And now you have a situation where if the Dodgers are going to move forward to the World Series, they're going to have to win three win or go home games. Whew, daunting task. Brian Stone King at School of Sweat writes, and okay, Buster, tell me how the analytics dictate that a hitter so complete as Freddie Freeman isn't pushing a bunt up the line instead of swinging away into the shift. Wouldn't the odds be in favor of the bunt? I just don't get the logic from the offensive side. Yeah, I don't know if he's the perfect uh, you know person to, to uh, illustrate your question. Because Freddie takes the ball the other way. You don't see as many defensive shifts with him as you do with other players. Uh, there are a lot of players where I've wondered, how come they don't bunt? And obviously, some of it's related situation. You know, you're not going to have a guy up there who's a 40 home run hitter. You want to bunt with two outs. But there are a lot of situations where you feel like, hey, you know, just don't try to do too much. This is not necessarily a bunt situation, but like Hunter Renfro last night for the Red Sox. It was like he got excited in his plate appearance and he was trying to pull the ball. And you're like, dude, just take it the other way. Just take what the defense gives you. Next up, we have Wayne at Mookie for MVP. Wayne writes in Buster. Do you think Tatis not having sol- shoulder surgery is a big mistake? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't looked at his medical file. And even if I did, I wouldn't know what I was looking at. <laughs> I do. I think uh, next week. Taylor, when it gets Stefani Bell on, because I got to say, when when I read that, that he wasn't having shoulder surgery, that was a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, oh, boy, you, do you want that guy dealing with that all of next year? Because one thing to remember, it's not only Tatis Jr. about, you know, sort of where he is physically on a day-to-day basis, uh, you know, in terms of playing games. But from what I heard from the Padres people, 
was that the fact that he got so much treatment meant that he did wasn't able to work out at shortstop as much. And we saw his defense regress because he couldn't do the daily work. Mm, interesting. Let's go to Dan Lee at Mr. Fancy 36. Dan writes in with Trey Turner performing poorly this postseason. Should the Dodgers start thinking more about re-signing Corey Seager or getting another free agent shortstop? I don't think they're going to re-sign Corey Seager. Uh, you know, maybe ownership jumps in at the end as they did with the Trevor Bauer negotiations and basically throws a big number at him. Um, I think Trevor that Trey Turner will be the shortstop, and I think Corey Seager is going to wind up with the Yankees. Last one for today, Michael Preston at McP1979. Michael writes in, I know winner-take-all games are all hands on deck, but in a game four, why would Boston pull Pavetta, pitch in a gem, then have Valdi on short rest, knowing you will need a quality deep start from him later this series? Makes no sense to me. Well, I'd say this. I mean, it was his bullpen throw day, and he pitched in game four, and then the Red Sox knew he'd be off yesterday. He'd be off today. And he'd have two full days after throwing, what, 24 pitches? I, I don't blame him. And I know how much faith Alex Cora has in, in Evaldi. I don't I don't uh, find fault in that decision per se. Alrighty, that does it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. And please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. That's it for today. My thanks to The Rev, Taylor Schwenk, and to Sarah. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something that we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NexGuard Plus Chews.